1: yeah, yeah, papa, yeah, yeah. What is that, papa, yeah, yeah. Wanna be starting something, Something. got Got to be starting something, something. want to
2: be starting something, got Got to be starting something, something. get up and get over, yeah, yeah, get
1: up and get over, yeah, yeah. Okay, I
2: gotta stop singing, that's way too high for me. (laughs) Not for
1: me! (laughs) 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 What is it called? Oh, it's... um... I don't want to know be, the it's, name it's, of it. I think it's want to Be," gotta be, or Wannabe starting something by ye old king of pop. Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jordan. Uh, <laughs> how's it going, everybody? You are listening and watching another episode of the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Shimmy Wong. How is it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Today, we are talking about Boros. Boros? More we like boring, am I right? Usually, we're bagging on Boros. We are. It's been like a theme of the show, mm-hmm. but not
2: today my friends
1: no well actually we're gonna bang on it some more
2: but <laughs> no no today we're gonna break boros we're there going go. to take a look at boros and see how we can actually make it viable and mm-hmm. yeah i think you know a lot of people want to play boros and they tweet tweet us about it and yeah. make comments and we're always kind of down at, like i don't know boros is tough don't do that and you know that's not a very good answer from us we're gonna try and give you a better answer we're gonna try and you know use this episode to be like okay if you're gonna do boros Let's sit down, let's have a
1: conversation about it. Let's figure out how to make it viable. Yeah, do it right. Breaking Bad, Breaking Boros. I like that. I originally just called this episode Boros, which is just boring. (laughs) Before we get started, this show is brought to you by CardKingdom.com. Make sure you guys go to CardKingdom.com slash Command Zone. That is our affiliate link for the show and there you can buy all sorts of products, Magic the Gathering, M1 The pro tour just happened. <gasps> some cards may have gone down, some cards may have gone up. As you might have know, as you might know, we're recording this literally the day before the pro tour starts. So I'm guaranteeing
2: there's some cards that fluctuated in yeah. there. And uh, a lot of times this is a good opportunity point for players of EDH because you can keep your eye on cards that dropped and grab them right now, yeah. Because you know they didn't get played at the Pro Tour when somebody thought they would, and sometimes that'll make them drop more
1: than they should, and they'll slowly climb, climb back up over time. And then that's
2: where we go in and we grab them for EDH decks.
1: Yeah. Or there's a great buy list as well in Card Kingdom, and let's say your pre-release had the Glory Bringer in it. I bet that Glory Bringer is going to keep going up. So if you don't want that for EDH, you can go ahead and buy list that back to the site. And when I you're sold there, all of mine. yeah, yeah, I should actually sell Glory Bringer. So good and it standard. Is, oh, it is absurd. <laughs> and while you're there, you should also check out some of the Ultra Pro product, including their new Eclipse sleeves. They are also the sponsors of this show, and they are on a tear recently. I'm not gonna lie; they've been they've been putting out some really quality products. Yeah, Eclipse sleeves are off the hook. I was recently down in San Diego playing some EDH, and a
2: bunch of the people in that game had. Eclipse sleeves, and really? you could totally tell. Like, I at one point I stole somebody's card and I grabbed it. And I was like, Oh, this is an Eclipse sleeve, isn't it? And he's like, Yeah, like that's how good they are. Just with a feel of it, you're like, Oh, this is one of the premium sleeves. So, yeah. make sure to check those out. Uh, we've said this a few times, they kind of go in and out of stock because mm-hmm. they're so popular right now. And so, if you do
1: see them on Card Kingdom, I would recommend grabbing them uh, just because they tend to go out of stock. A testament to them, I used the same set of Eclipse sleeves over six pre releases and they held up. Perfectly. Not they're, a single dent, not a single scratch, they all are ready to use again. Yeah, they're they're very good, very durable. Um, the other way to support the show is directly
2: on Patreon. In fact, every single episode we call out one lucky patron, and this episode is dedicated to Jeffrey, Jeffrey Peterson. Peterson. Son,
1: son. Jeffrey. Son. You rock. Son of Peter, congratulations. (laughs) You've made the Patreon call out. And another thing that the patrons know about is a playmat we are selling. It is called Aftermath. Aftermath, And there's only three more days to get it. So it's on Kickstarter right now. After this Kickstarter ends, you will never be able to get this playmat again. It is a limited edition sale. So the links for everything you're ever gonna need are going to be in the show notes, the more info box below the video or above the audio on the website. Make sure you click on it and get that playmat before it sells out forever.
2: Yeah, that deserves repeating. This is it. Three days, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. It could be less by now. And then that's it. There's no more selling of that playmat. This is the first piece of merchandise that the Command Zone has ever put out. Wow. So if you want to be a piece of history or... Not be one. If you want to own a piece of history and be a
1: part of history, there you go. <laughs> then <laughs> make sure if to. If you want to a- be history,
2: if you want to get left in the dust, you uh, wouldn't have bought the playmat. There's just a lot of ways that, that went wrong, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You want
1: it. Go to Kickstarter. Grab it now because that's it. Yep. And also for the listeners of the show, stay tuned to the end step because we are doing another giveaway. Uh, however, everyone can participate in this one. So make sure you stay tuned to the end step for yeah, that. Yeah. If you stay tuned to the end step, you'll get something. Yeah. All right,
2: oh geez, one more announcement. It has to do with last episode we went, uh, took a big chunk of time and talked about the new bands uh, on Magic Online for Commander, and Jimmy and I were both pretty down on them because they were 1v1 focused, but they did apply to multiplayer, and you know, I kind of took to Twitter, and I was not very happy about them, and I I let my voice be heard, along with a slew of other people on social media,
1: and because of that tidal wave of discontent, What's he listened. They did. So, and uh, they've been good at this recently. Yep. They're very good at being proactive at laying, okay, we did something wrong. Let's make sure that we can fix this and move forward uh, with a clear line of communication. So starting, I think, June 5th? J- there's, July 5th. July 5th. There's going to be a separate ban list for 1v1, the one that they declared uh, a week ago, as opposed to multiplayer online for Commander. So you can still play the cards. You can still play the cards that you have in your normal decks online in multiplayer.
2: Yeah, multiplayer is going to... Uh, shadow or parallel the paper um, rules committee list as much as possible. Now, there's certain cards that are available on Magic Online or don't work because of the way the interface works, and they're leaving themselves an out when they say that. But 1v1 and multiplayer will not have the same list, which is great. Um, That's exactly what we asked for, kind of. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, very happy about that. So having said all of that and having done all of our upkeep, let's go to the main topic which is now called
1: Breaking Boros. We have to draw a card first. We have to draw a card first? I up, keep draw. <laughs> oh, my goodness. One of the most important parts of Magic we the skip Gathering. We skipped the draw phase. You skipped right over it. Oh, my yeah. goodness. All right. So Breaking Boros. We've bagged on Boros a lot. I actually saw a post being like, you guys insult Boros a lot. Guys. Why do you do that? And I'm like, you know what? Because we're jerks. It is time to talk about Boros in a way to build a successful EDH deck with Boros colors that is red and white. Now... We've talked a lot about how to make good decks in the past. Before you listen to this episode, we're going to mention a lot of stuff that we've iterated on a lot. Go listen to episodes 156, The Importance of the Mana Curve, 151, The Commander Deck Building Template, and 143, Evaluating New Mechanics, because that's going to come into play as well. So, Yeah, there's a whole bunch of
2: episodes. I'd say the political epi- episode. This, yes. This episode number
1: two, which was Sun Tzu. The Machiavellian
2: episode, which I forget which number it is, but you can find it uh, by searching Command Zone Machiavelli those are gonna be really important to uh, playing Boros well. Yeah. So we, yeah, we always talk about Boros as sort of the hardest color combination and- It goes hard. You know it really is echoed. I, I one of the things I did before we recorded this episode was there's a competitive EDH tier list that mm. exists on tapped out, and somebody turned us onto it uh, when we were talking about competitive edH a few episodes back. And I sort of checked that tier list to see how far you could go down in the tiers before you found a Boros commander. And you basically can find every other color pairing or you know multiples of most color yeah. pairings. Until you get to, you go tier one, no, no Boros, tier 1.5, no Boros, tier two, no Boros, tier 2.5, no Boros, tier oh three, you find a Boros commander for the first time. So nice. according to whoever's up maintaining that, and, you know, listen, they might be off by half a tier or something, but even they, I think, agree that Boros is the worst, quote unquote,
1: of the color combinations that are yeah. possible in commander. Yep, yeah, and we would normally shed a tear for Boros and just... Move past it. However, we're gonna we're gonna change that today. All right. So let's talk about why Boros is bad. This is a thought exercise. So all of you, we invite you to join us in this thought exercise and figuring out how we can play a Boros deck that's gonna stand up to the tier one and one point five and twos and just the better e- literally every other deck in the format. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Except for like the Felde Grip deck. Okay. Why is Boros bad? Josh, we talked about those, we we, we said we've this talked about times. this many <laughs>
2: times, but Boros is bad because red and white are deficient in two very important areas, the most important areas that we always talk about every single show. So card draw and mana ramp. White and red are both kind of the worst colors in both of those categories, yeah. especially ramp. Both of them are just literally, think off the top of your head, like what's ramp in white? What's ramp in red? There's not any real standout cards that fit that category in either yeah. one. Like green has ramp, and green obviously has a ton. Even blue has things like fate stitchers mm-hmm. and things that untap your permanence to fairy and stuff like that. They also just bring a lot of other black things has to the table. cabal coffers yeah. and all the swamp doublers and things like that. Red and white just sit at a place where there's just basically zero ramp inherent to the colors.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of cards that do it, and we will talk about those, but they are just very poor in both of those areas. And even the card draw is not that great because white is super conditional, and red almost always has you being discarding cards as well as drawing them. So it's hard to get card advantage and mana ramp in these two colors. As a result, you're going to just get outpaced and usually just outnumbered on the battlefield as as a as a result. Yeah. Boros is also very one-dimensional. If you look at almost all of the Boros commanders, they say some form of, "Hey, I want you to turn me sideways and attack people," or "Hey, I need you to do direct damage to people in some way." Which is great if you want to play a Voltron deck or be aggressive in general, but we've talked many times as to why that is not one of the more viable strategies in Commander, and combined with the fact that you can't really replenish your hand if things go wrong, oof.
2: Yeah, it's all aggro or Voltron. That's basically what Boros ends up being, and it seems like every time they print a commander, you just go, well, that's another aggro commander. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another Voltron commander. That's. It's not that those strategies can't work. It, I, I think, obviously, we've all had games, and we hear from people all the time, well, my Gisela deck wins all the time. Okay, but in general, I think against a lot of strong decks, that is not the most powerful strategy. Can it win a game? Sure, but it's sort of not favored, is what I would say. That yeah. doesn't mean it's impossible for it to win. Um Another thing we put down is strength is a weakness. So one of the things about the way magic works is that each color has certain things that it's good at. Mm-hmm. Like green is good at ramp and big creatures, and blue is good at counter spells and drawing cards. And red is good at damage-based stuff, which is weakened in Commander because the amount of life that everybody has and the way that the game scales. It's also good at land destruction. mm And White's also got some land destruction stuff, and it just so happens that the sort of unwritten laws or the traditions of Commander say that land destruction is frowned upon in the format. So you take one of the things that those colors occupy and they're strong at, and you're just kind of not allowed to use it. And so let's imagine that you did that for green, and you said, well, ramp is really... You know, that's one of the pillars of green, but it's frowned upon. The social rule is you can't ramp. Um, Then all of a sudden, how much worse is green as a color if it can't do that? It's way worse. It's one of the worst colors now, whereas with it, it's one of the best.
1: Yeah, and if you're just playing a deck with a lot of mass land destruction so you can win, you're very quickly going to find yourself on that end of like, hey, man, like we get it. We get it. You blew up our lands and then you killed us with an Eldrazi.
2: We're not going to sit here and say the way to play Boros is to blow up lands because that will, in the long run, I think, do you more harm than good. But that's (laughs) one of the reasons that Boros is difficult and bad is because one of the things it could really park on and say, I'm good at this and this is a way I can win games, isn't really allowed.
1: Yeah. And another part of Boros that isn't as great is it's lacking in very good tutors. Obviously, black and blue have a lot of options for tutoring um boros has some Uh, all the red tutors are pretty abysmal because you're discarding cards sometimes and you're taking a gamble literally white Um, has your best tutors between the two and it's really artifact and enchantment focused. Yeah, and then the combo potential for Boros isn't there either because you don't have the tricksier cards like the Fate Stitchers or the things that are going to be able to have you, you know, bounce stuff up and down. Now, however, there are some cards that exist now that help this out. But in general, you're not. It's not a combo Boros deck. That's those are two words you don't really hear together very often.
2: Well, I would say, and this is similar to the land destruction thing, is the type of combo that red's likely to do, which is a Kiki Jiki combo or a Splinter Twin co- combo, is frowned upon also in the format, <laughs> which is a sort of two card combo. So one of the things things it would be good at which is that sort of zealous conscripts you could even use like midnight guard Mm -hmm. uh with with splinter twin and that is not going to work very well because again people are going to have the same reaction which is like two card combo you win but it's one of the things that red would otherwise be really good at i think which is kind of disallowed again because of the way that the social aspect of the format goes.
1: All right, now let's stop begging on Boros. Let's talk about why Boros is good. So in the past two years, Wizards of the Coast, I think, has slowly recognized the need for red and white to get more aspects of card draw and mana wrap, and they provided ways, reprinted ways, and sort of enforced ways for that to happen, and they've given a lot of extra artifacts as well that also buffer that zone between Boros not having the, the skills and the toolset to come up with against the other decks.
2: Yeah, I feel like, and we've said this over the last couple of years, which is, it, it does feel like Wizards is aiming to fill in some of those gaps for sure, like purposefully with the commander product and, and conspiracy to a lesser extent. Yeah, for sure. Extent. Recruiter
1: of the Guard, I think, is a standout <clears throat> in terms of like, hey, it's a tutor in white. Just the monarch
2: mechanic is great for Boros. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So another strength of Boros is they have answers to everything. white. And red, sort of the way that they coalesce and the way they combine, you can answer enchantments, artifacts, lands, creatures. Non-land permanent, white can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the land permanents, red can do that part. A lot of instant spe- speed stuff. They have very good board wipes because of white. So they have also like other kinds of wipes, like destroy all non-land permanents kind of thing. Austere Planar cleansings is all I need to say. Yeah, yeah. so Boros is good at answering things, especially on a one-for-one basis.
1: Yeah, Um, and this is sort of a lesser impactful thing, but Boros does have that underdog status where you definitely can play a political advantage with Boros because I think anytime I see a Boros deck, and then I see, like, a Damia deck. I'm like, all right, clearly one of these decks is more scary from the outset. I just need to make sure I don't die to, like, combat damage from the Boros deck, and i will be fine. So Yeah, that's the
2: thing about Boros. You see it on the table, and you, you're pretty sure you know what you're going to get. Yeah. And so it's less scary because you can be like, all right, I put out a propaganda, and the Boros deck is at least going to be way slowed down. So, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Let's talk
1: about the Boros build philosophy. BBP. <laughs> Now before we get into very specific cards, we're going to talk about overall just ideas that we've placed behind Boros and what it means when it comes to winning with Boros decks. So the first one is sacrifices must be made. So Boros is still hampered by what it's lacking and doesn't have all the things we've just talked about. As a result, the strategies you're going to employ aren't going to feel as complex as like a blue-black control deck or as flashy as doing cool Planeswalker combos with doubling season. You just have to cut some cards in decks, I think, in order to build in the same amount of redundancy that other decks have and also to make sure that you have a good time. You know, like in some decks where it's like I'm playing blue, this creature draws me a card, can tap for mana and does all these different things or whatever. Boros doesn't really have that option of super flexible cards. So as a result, you may have to cut some of your sort of pet cards, the fringe cards, in order to put in that stability that other decks naturally have within their color pie.
2: You gotta hit that 10 mana ramp and 10 card draw at the very least. You just have to because you're gonna run into even more problems when you don't than a normal deck would have because of the way that Boros sort of plays out in the game. Um, You just have to be, we talked about it in the Mana Curve episode, which is good deck building is oftentimes about discipline. So it's about choosing a card that's not going to do something flashy in the game. It's going to give you two extra mana A turn or two early yeah but doing that will allow you to still be alive to do flashy things later Mm -hmm. um linear oh yeah linear deck building doesn't mean linear play so just because you're combat based or voltron or you know have a specific strategy doesn't mean you need to play you know exactly into that build to win games i think this is a really good point jimmy you put this down here Mm -hmm. which is that I think a lot of the Boros commanders are kind of a trap. You know, we're used to building a commander deck around the commander to look at the commander and go like, okay, the text on the commander says this. So the cards in my deck need to do this. And in the commander deck building template episode, we even talk about how you should take your cues from your commander Mm -hmm. and sort of build that way. But I think the problem is that the Boros commanders are telling you to do something that is oftentimes not a great strategy <laughs> in the game now that doesn't mean you can't run Boros and you can't run one of those commanders but maybe you have to build your deck in such a way that it's not leaning in so hard to what the commander wants to do that yeah. it has some other aspects to it that aren't on the commander text box at all yeah things like recursion card advantage value engine generation that kind of stuff that like your regular Boros commander just that's not on there it just wants to turn sideways right but you need to have all this other stuff that isn't in that text box um yeah, I think that's a really good point.
1: Yeah, uh, and of course, you have to, like Josh said earlier, you have to hold the deck's feet up to the same fire that we do for any other build in EDH. So 10 card draw, 10 mana ramp, board wipe, single target removal, all of these checkboxes still I think really, really need to be there for Boros in order for it to function on the same level so that you never feel like you're behind. And then get ready to jump through
2: some hoops. <laughs> So, yeah, a lot of these cards aren't going to be easy. They're not going to be easy to find. It might sort of feel bad because you kind of got to take out a couple of the cards that you want to. But you do get some cool stuff. Yeah. You put Sunforger down here. That's always a card I want to play more of. Sunforger is sweet.
1: It's, and, it does something so rare in the colors. Yeah. Searches, your, tutors your deck for an, a, a, a spell? What? It's <laughs> a
2: repeatable tutor. Yeah. So it gives you versatility. Those are the types of cards you want to look for and find. And. Sunforger is absolutely a card that should pull you towards playing Boros and should probably be in almost every deck. Mm -hmm. You also have to build your deck in a certain way so that you can take full advantage of it.
1: Yeah. All right, let's take a trip, get on the the train, because we are going to Value Town. Uh, We've talked enough about philosophies, why things are good or bad. Let's actually talk about cards and mechanics that make Boros viable. So how does white and red achieve card draw and mana ramp? Before that, let's briefly talk about the importance of two-color. Uh, so one thing to take note of is if you're playing a boros deck you are two colors it's actually something that you do want to build around because it's going to affect a lot of decisions you make when you build your deck so for one you're going to have a higher basic land count almost guaranteed because you're only running two colors even more so if you're only running one color but this means that fetch lands and land tutors and white has a lot of these that look for basic planes or lands are going to affect how you build your deck cards with harder color commitments like yield kiki jiki angel of serenity these cards are going to be a lot easier to play, so you don't need to be like, oh, shoot, I need to make sure I can always hit, you know, three red by turn five for Kiki Jiki. Chances are you will be able to. Uh, the nice thing, though, is that you have a lot more breathing room for non-basic lands, and trust me, you're going to need all the help you can get in Boros, and their, your non-basic slot is one of the big ways that you can catch back up value-wise
2: yeah that's a big point, and you can afford to run all the homeward paths and the mm-hmm. um and the things like uh winding canyons is a big one which allows yeah. you to catch creatures at flash and you need to look for the non uh, the non basic slot the non colored slot really as a place that you can take advantage of because if you're in a four color deck You really can't run a lot of lands that don't tap for a single color of mana because every time you draw those They're really putting you off your colors mm-hmm. and stopping you from casting a tracks on turn four But in a boros deck if your third fourth and fifth land all tap for colorless as long as you got one red and one white You're probably okay I mean it might that's not might not be the best scenario, but it yeah. allows you a lot of flexibility in that arena
1: yeah, and as is with every two-color deck, you're in general going to have to rely on artifacts and these non-basic lands more heavily to get the effects that your colors normally don't have.
2: I mean, I would say even the most in this particular color pairing, because for sure, yeah, I called it uh, artifact subsidizing because <laughs> the, the red and white just doesn't doesn't cover you in, in the areas you need, and so you you're just going to turn to artifacts for card drawn mana ramp, yeah. you know, quite a bit, um, which also brings with it some problems, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. So let's talk about the card draw that's available in white. So outside of, like, Mentor for the Meek, Bygone Bishop is a new one I've been using quite a bit. White just doesn't really say draw cards. There's just not a lot of cards in white that say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do, and we've talked about this before, you have land tutors. And these technically are draw spells. Now, that's, like, land tax and uh, weathered wayfarer. These are usually cards that are formatted in such a way where they say, uh, like, land tax is... It triggers if you have less lands than your opponent, and then you get to go into your deck and pull three lands into your hand. So, that is card draw, right? You're getting three lands. Yeah. And there was an episode of Game Nights with Alex Kessler where we had oh, land wow, tax yeah. out, and it's just like ancestral recalling. But you're not get it. it's not exactly ancestral recall every turn because you're never
1: getting spells. You're yeah. only getting lands. Guaranteed, though, whenever you draw those cards, they're going to be lands. So I wrote this down. If you don't have ramp, at the very least, you can guarantee drop a land every turn. And which, sometimes is, which is big, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. yeah really big. Um, yeah, so Knight I, of the White Orchid is also another card that does this. But Knight actually potentially can ramp you
2: true yeah so knight is actually one of the few ramp cards that is available in white in that it puts a land onto the battlefield so it's sort of like uh what's the card um
1: it's sort of wood elves or something like that yeah yeah untapped no no less yeah um and you can also get a a red white dual land with that that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so um,
2: that is a way to generate sort of card draw. Now, it's not card draw in the way we like to talk about, which is one of the things we said about card draw and why it's good is that it gives you more options in your hand, and, and land draw doesn't give you more options.
1: But one of the other things we like about card draw is hitting your land draw, so it does yeah, do that. Certainly. Um, repeatable value is also something that white has now been get granted access to, many thanks to a card called Eldrazi Displacer. Uh, which is just one of the most ridiculous creatures I think ever printed. And it, trust me, this card is going to be played forever in EDH. Yeah,
2: it's sort of Deadeye Navigator-esque. It's not it's not as good, yeah. but it's still very good.
1: Yeah, and in the same vein, White does have a lot of flicker effects. And that's yeah, a great Yeah, we should way. say Eldrazi Displacer is a creature right. where
2: uh, you pay mana. It's two in a colorless, and then you flicker a creature. So it exiles and then comes back into play tapped. Now, the thing about Eldrazi Displacer that makes it like more like Deadeye Eye. Than a lot of other cards is that the creature comes back immediately it's right. not in at your end step it comes back and because of that Eldrazi displacer can flicker something two three times in a row if you have the mana which can sort of start really chaining you into
1: you know crazy value town yeah and then there are cards that have entered the battlefield abilities. so like knight of the white orchid is one of those as well as stoneforge mystic Uh, And just other enter the battlefield abilities. If you are able to combine them with some of the effects that white has for flicker, then you're going towards value town slowly, not as fast as other decks.
2: Yeah, I will say that's a thing about Boros that we didn't mention earlier, but the amount of possible value engines in the color is also lower than I'd say the other color color combinations. So it's another reason, another hurdle you have to overcome. So really building your deck... Keeping in mind, I want to have value engines that are possible. Yeah. Because what do we say in the commander deck building uh, uh, episode was most decks in EDH fall into the accumulated value category. Mm-hmm. Like, if if you name almost all the decks you have, I bet you there it's like Marin, Atraxa, yeah. uh, you know. Brea. Brea. They're all accumulated value decks. They're attrition decks. They are not aggro decks. They are not necessarily control, hard control. They are decks that slowly over time accumulate value to the point where everybody else just has less stuff than
1: you yeah so yeah that's card drawn white in a nutshell now card drawn red is a little different because it benefits a lot from graveyard synergies because a lot of red card draw cards make you discard cards as part of the cost or it's like uh rummage or looting or not looting it's Rummaging. rummaging where you discard a card then draw a card and
2: Yeah. Looting is blues, which is you draw and then discard. Rummaging is reds, which is you have to discard first uh, and then draw. But this is still a very powerful ability. And when you think about it coupled with the land drawing cards like Land Tax and Weather wayfare that we talked about earlier, now all of a sudden you can turn those lands into real cards. Mm -hmm. So there is synergy within Boros right there to create card draw, you have to do it with a couple of different effects. Yeah. But I think if you really lean into that, you can you can find your card draw and be pretty efficient with it.
1: Yeah, w- red also has wheel effects, which means discard your hand, draw up to seven, or draw that many cards. So wheel of fortune, magus, the wheel, reforge the soul, are all cards that uh, let you pitch your wheel hand, but of also fate. everyone else pitches a hand and you get to draw some cards back. Um, a lot of cards do like fetching things back as well. So graveyard synergies is a way to be card draw if that makes sense. Let's say you pitch a creature, and then with Felden of the third path, you can bring it back from the graveyard. So technically, you kind of drew a card. It's a bit more... Especially if you rummaged. So if you rummaged
2: the card into your graveyard and drew another card to replace it, and now you're using the card out of your graveyard, you basically drew an extra card right there. You didn't lose a card. So um, it's another thing that sort of synergizes with the rummaging.
1: Yeah, Felden does this Pass in Flames. Doretti, Scrap Savant, and Goblin Welder are all very powerful cards uh that's why Mono Red works as a deck is because it has a lot of these synergies. Mono- well, also, Doretti is the commander, so yeah. you always have access
2: to the one card that's going to allow you to recur and yeah. play around with artifacts in the graveyard. Or Felden is the same thing. They're mm-hmm. both commanders. When you're Boros, there's not, right now, a Boros commander that really does what those two. But that doesn't mean you can't build that into your deck and build those value engines, like we were talking mm-hmm. about, into the deck, even though your commander, like we said, doesn't say that on the text box.
1: Yeah. And then there's impulsive draw, which is a relatively new mechanic uh, that allows you to exile a card from the top of your library, and then you can play it until end of turn if able. So the new Chandra does that. The one of the older Chandra's does that as well. Outpost Siege. So this, in a lot of ways, is card draw. You get access to another card on your turn.
2: Yeah, and and they're doing that more and more, which I really like. And I think yes. it's the reason one of the reasons that like mono white is the the hardest mono color to play. Red is above white as far as like mono color decks because. Mm-hmm. Of the two things, man, ramp, and card draw, well, Red has pretty
1: good card draw. Yeah. It still doesn't have
2: ramp, but White's just bad at both, so...
1: All right, mana ramp in white. Now mm. white actually gets a little help here, but usually it's very conditional and almost always it lands onto the battlefield. So there's not much either. Knight of the White Orchid we talked
2: about uh, earlier, and there's also a card called Core Cartographer, yeah. which basically does an impression of Knight of the White Orchid for more mana, right? It's th- yeah, but it's you get the land no matter what, so it's nice. True, true, true. With Knight of the White Orchid, they have to have more lands than you, is that yeah, right? Yeah, but this costs four mana and, and for two
1: two, yeah.
2: But you could flicker it yeah exactly so that's a thing it's a four mana two two sorry that it basically exactly oh well, not exactly it but it would elves it, yeah. it it goes and finds land and puts on the battlefield tapped um this next point you know you wrote this down and i was like that is a really good point but it's also got some of the problems we talked about <laughs> earlier right so yep. white also has a lot of like stacks or denial or hate bear type effects a lot of ways which are sort of you put in reverse ramp, which I think is a great way to look at it, right? So if you have Aura of Silence out, Aura of Silence is an, is an enchantment that costs one and two white, and it says artifact and enchantment spells your opponents cast cost two more to cast. Uh, you can also sacrifice the aura to destroy an artifact or enchantment. But game nights, <laughs> right? Yeah, Melissa played this to good effect in, in that in that game nights number five. But this is a card that sort of taxes your opponents, right? So it, mm-hmm. it's reverse ramp because it, it it doesn't make your spells cost less. It makes your opponent's spells cost more. Yeah. Which sort of, in the same way, gives you an advantage, sort of. And white has a lot of effects like this. Thalia does that. Uh, Magus of the Tabernacle can do stuff like that. Yeah, there's forcing
1: a, them to tap down stuff is huge.
2: Yeah, so there's just very much a... Uh, this is a way you can go, but it has the problem, and it's not quite to the same degree as the land destruction, right? Right, definitely It's not, not like people will, like, uh, uh, they'll never play with you, they'll throw their cards down or whatever, and I don't want to say, again, land destruction. I'm fine with it, but some people, a lot of people don't like it. Understandable. S- stacks on that sort of, I don't know, scale is lower, but people still don't love it, and they're liable to
1: sort of target you because of it. Yeah, so it works, but it's, again, a little risky. Mana Ramp in red is very, it's like one-time spurts. uh, And it's a very red thing. Yeah, rituals. So you can't, as far as I can tell, there's no way for red to get lands onto the battlefield or have traditional more like guys that tap for mana like green does. But you do have cards like Mana Echoes and Mana Geyser. Mana Echoes may be the most powerful out of all of these, um, but Mana Geyser, we'll just read for a second, I remember playing this in Conspiracy to great effect. Mm-hmm. Three red, red for a sorcery, add red to your mana pool for each tap land your opponents control. So it's, it's all a- your
2: opponents. You look at every land tap that your opponent has and you get that much red mana. But it's it's a ritual. It
1: it works one time. Yeah. Which is really powerful because sometimes it's like, great, I'll do this and play two Eldrazi Titans. Boom. I'm and they have haste because I'm in red. But other times, it's just, you know, because it's a one-time infusion, the next turn that comes around, let's say you have a lot of effects that you want to use, activate abilities to take mana, it's not going to help you out.
2: Think of what we were talking about earlier. Most decks fall into the accumulated value category. Yeah. Well, mana geyser is a one-time use thing. It's not accumulating value. It's a one-time value thing proposition, yeah. which is just less powerful in EDH. Because, yeah, you play two Elder Ozzy Titans, and then somebody goes, path, sword Splashers. You're down a lot of cards. You're down a bunch of cards, and you just sort of spent your own,
1: everything you had right then, and then yeah. now what? Yeah. This is one of my favorite cards, by the way, also from Conspiracy 1, Treasonous Ogre. I think this card deserves more play. Three and a red for an Ogre Shaman. It's a 2-3. It has Dethrone, whatever. But you can pay three life at instant speed to add red to your mana pool. This is actually really good. Combined with white, because white's got life gain. Yeah, you can gain a bunch of life,
2: or maybe you don't care. Maybe you mm-hmm. can just sort of, you know, he- here and there too is one of the things. Like you don't have to think of it as like, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to pay nine life to get three mana in one turn. You can do that, but yeah. over the course of three or four turns, you just add a mana here and there when you need it. You'd be willing to pay six
1: nine life for that. Yeah. Uh, Red also can cheat out huge creatures. It's got a lot of ways to play huge things really quickly. And then if you combine it with graveyard synergies, I think you definitely get to a full card's worth of value. So sneak attack is probably the most well-known out of all of these. Through the breach. Even a card like Flame Shadow Conjuring, where you have to pay extra mana and still pay play the original card, gets you a little bit of extra. It's as though you play two things that it's turn. It's a little bit
2: of ramp, yeah. yeah. It's it's reducing the cost of things. Yeah. I mean, sneak attack is a whole other category of broken but okay
1: my favorite version of ramp is the uh, most red ramp of all you play a card like final fortune or glorious end cards that say you take an extra turn and then you lose the game after that turn but that hey really ramp? you get an extra turn to play another land you ramped right yeah it kind of works yeah, i guess so. it's a big asterisk you lose the game <laughs> okay but for that one glorious turn you ramped you ramped you did it. ramp glorious end by the way let's let's not forget that card is awesome instant Ooh. speed red end the turn Minus the part where you lose the game after your next turn, but...
2: Can you sundial the infinite uh, after you glorious ended to not lose the game? Maybe. Yeah, because you can sundial, I think, on your own turn. This kind of speculation always gets us in trouble, but I think there's ways around the glorious end thing and Final Fortune. We know Final Fortune's been around forever and there's... There's ways around it. But if it. you're
1: playing Final Fortune so you can cheat your way out of the other claws, then you're not a true red player, so... Well, yeah, maybe you're playing Boros, so you're only half a red player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the white part of you is like, what are you doing? <laughs> Use your judgment. Okay, uh, other notable values inherent strengths in these color. White, as we said before, board wipes. Boom. Best board wipes in the game. The, the, the greatest. Not the greatest. Uh, single target removal, also very strong in white as well. Uh, red has haste. Artifact hate. Threaten effects are really good with sac outlets, and of course, board wipes there, but they're damage-based.
2: I would put single target land destruction in here, and I don't think it gets enough play, but how yeah. often have we seen like a Gaius Cradle or a Maze of Ith or a Glacial Chasm really like control the game in a lot of ways? Oh, we've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> and so I think that's something in our format that red players and players that are in the color red just don't have in their deck enough. There's almost always going to be a land or two that you really want to get rid of. So, Mm -hmm. you know, red's probably, probably everybody needs to put in like one
1: or two more like destroy target land type spell. Yeah, and of course the Planeswalkers that they've been releasing are a way that Wizards has helped boost the power of red. So Nahiri is a great example of a card that is removal as well as card draw. Uh, Doretti, as well as, as a great way of Graveyard Recursion recursion, and Koth of the Hammer is also that sort of one-time ritual. Add some mana to your mana pool.
2: Yeah, Graveyard Recursion is actually a little bit better in these colors than you'd think because of Past in Flames. So you can get Instance and Sorceries back, basically. Charmbreaker Devils, also Instance and Sorceries back. Um... Like we said, there's a lot of artifacts now, recursion in red. And then you have things like Open the Vaults and Second Sunrise, which can get other types of, you know, you can get enchantments back and you can get just everything that died that turn back yeah. with a lot of this stuff. So it really ends up being, I, I, this isn't something that stands out to me when I think about this color pair. but And this is the part for EDH that should really like turn on the light bulb. Bing! That's mm-hmm. what we want to normally be doing, which is reusing our stuff
1: a lot and accumulating value. Yeah. And Red White has not actually, a lot. They've also got some pretty strong tribal synergies and soldiers and goblins. Goblins are very powerful. Kiki Jiki deck <laughs> is nuts. If, I mean, like, Goblin Welder is Says one of...
2: Jimmy the Red goblins I mean, are very powerful. I just want you all to know that. Yeah, yeah,
1: But let's not get around. Goblin Welder is probably one of the strongest cards in yeah, EDH. Yeah, it's
2: super good. Yeah.
1: Um, all the sword as well, I think <laughs> you got to put some swords in a, in, a, in a Boros deck because you're going to get access to effects that you would dream of.
2: Well, and they can be part of your card draw and ramp package with Feast and Famine and yeah. Fire and ice, So Yeah. Yeah.
1: And partner commanders actually. I think, you know, if I'm gonna build a Boros deck, I'm building it as a partner commander. Because what are you, you building, Bruce Tarl, Bruce Tarl and, and the Carrie uh, Lineslinger? You oh, get a yeah. two drop and a four drop, and you get two extra cards in your hand.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Actually, you start draw. off with two cards. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Boom. Who's you got w- card draw now? Off with one extra
1: card. <laughs> yeah, one extra card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, pretty good. Well, two extra if you're playing against your Chromat deck because you never play it. Touche. Touche. All right. So, how do we build the Boros deck? Um, one. Let's follow the deck building templates and general guidelines for starters, and make sure you hit those freaking markers. Uh, the the last two categories
2: are easy. The first two categories are hard. Yeah. So, th- mana ramp, ten, card draw, ten. Ten. I mean, this again, template. Normally, though, I would go a little over
1: if I could. Yeah. In the, in the Boros decks. For sure. Yeah. Um, and we haven't talked much about mana ramp in the form of artifacts, but oh, sorry, single target removal and board wipes are the two we didn't mention. But as we've seen, five and five, five and five, yeah, ish. And uh, mana ramp in the form of artifacts we haven't talked about, but it's going to be one of your best assets. So you should be using a lot of rocks. Get your rocks off, man. Get extra mana any way that you can in the Boros deck.
2: Yeah, I I think you're going to be leaning heavily on mana rocks for your ramp just because both colors are so bad at it, which also means it might be a reason why I would push that mana ramp number even higher to 12, 13, 14, simply because artifacts are way easier to remove than, say, your rampant growth cultivates stuff where it's putting lands into play. That's because of just the way that the sort of unwritten rules of the format are, nobody gets mad if somebody Vandal Blast and says that they're not going to play with them again, the way that they do if they Armageddon. So, right. You know, you just kind of got to be aware of that and build your deck accordingly, which yeah. is, yeah. And
1: mm-hmm. I also wouldn't rely on like the weathered Wayfarer flicker combos or like land tax. Like you don't want to rely on that. I'd much rather be like, I know I have rocks in here as well as some of these other things that hopefully can generate me some value in the long run. So play some rocks. <laughs> Play, right. a lot, play a lot of them. A lot of what also makes a good Boros deck is tuning for your meta. And we talked about this a little bit. Sort of linear deck design does not mean linear play. Uh, you may have an aggro deck, but if your meta is full of creature based decks, you're going to want to play more board wipes than normal. And it might also mean
2: that you don't build your deck in such a way that you're going super wide with creatures you, and yeah. you yourself are vulnerable to your own board wipes. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you've got a ton of super rampy decks in your format that are like ramp 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 play huge stuff then some
1: of your stacks and your your land your sort of taxing effects might be stronger yeah weather wavefare gets way better when everyone's playing ramping growth against you for instance or land tax um if you're a very spell heavy deck you might want to try to actually go really fast or build in more recursion because you're going to be competing against decks that are going to get a lot of value from their graveyards um
2: yeah this is something i like to pay attention to a lot which is how removal heavy is your meta so certain metas is i've noticed like our meta is very removal heavy like there's a lot of answers but you'll play with other people and you're like oh they you're never gonna answer this doubling season (laughs) and so you kind of play into that you can be way more Voltrony if there's not a lot of removal in your in your meta yeah and
1: if you can't win at all play some infect and win even (laughs) less wait a minute did craig
2: uh, put you up to that
1: no but i thought it was funny (laughs) because you play infect you're not gonna win more um Really can't win, you said. Just build in some mass
2: land destruction <laughs> and add Eldrazi for yourself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, like I, like I always say, there's certain groups, and, and I think ours is more towards that, where, mm-hmm. you know, eh, yeah, you
1: just blow up all my lands. I mean, if you don't do it every single game, well, it's fine. My favorite category is want to beat Josh Lee Kwai? Play Blood Moon. <laughs> don't play Blood Moon. Don't you play should play Blood, Blood Moon. Oh, gosh. You <laughs> probably card. should. Yeah. In your listen. Unless you have a tons of on basic lands that you're relying on, yeah, right? I'm not even gonna go down this this rabbit hole. Today's episode is called Boros Blood Moon, where we discuss the benefits of playing Blood Moon in Boros. Listen, how b- much b- is b- your b- soul b- worth? Don't uh, do it. Don't I'm do gonna it. reforge the soul, so I don't care how much it's worth. <laughs> All right. right. Now <clears throat> Another category that's very important in breaking Boros is protecting your stuff. So Boros strategies often rely on a nice stacked board position. So you got to stop people from blowing up your stuff.
2: Yeah, it's not like a lot of other strategies, especially blue strategies, but not just. Like green is often being like taking the first four turns to just put more lands into play. Yeah. You know, those are technically permanents, but they're not non-land permanents. And the non-land permanents are the real vulnerable stuff. Whereas Boros is usually going to be playing creatures and artifacts mm-hmm. and putting yourself into a vulnerable position where if the wrong board wipe comes along at the wrong moment, you can be set back very far. And so it's important to include things that, have, that protect your stuff. Boros charm is a great one. In fact, Boros charm is probably the best one because it has two other modes on it. There's things like Archangel Avicen, which comes in with flash. And can protect all your stuff where nobody can see it. I really like those two because you protect your stuff without that the thing that's protecting it being out on the board. Yeah. So you can sort of get them, right? Where they go to board wipe you and they think, okay, I'm going to be fine because I'm going to board wipe. And you go, boom, all my stuff's indestructible. And now I'm going to have it on my turn to use against you. Selfless spirit is another one because of the way that it protects your stuff, which it doesn't cost any mana. And it just
1: sits out there and you sack it to give your creatures uh, indestructible, so. By the way, both those two cards you mentioned, Archangel Avacyn and Selfless Spirit, released very recently. I think these are the signposts of wizards being like, we need to give these mono colors a little bit more oomph. Yeah. And uh, this is a great way to do it. Archangel Avacyn may be one of the best Boros commanders as well, honestly.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, because it has one of the things we're talking about here on it, so. Um, Although it's not quite as effective if they know you have it, it's still good. Yeah. The next one is Know Your Enemy. So blue is often the bane of fair or straightforward decks and boros is usually falls into that category not always mm-hmm. so i think it's totally fine to pack some hate specifically for the blue player there's because there's always a blue player right and very often you sit around at a uh, multiplayer table and every single player is in blue <laughs> of uh, you know some sort yeah. yeah this one's in bant this one's in atraxa and this one's in you know Mizzix, and it's like okay everybody's got blue in their deck. So I think Pyroblast, Red Elemental Blast are both one mana red spells which counter blue stuff or destroy blue stuff. And
1: you'll just get people with these. Yep. You They'll just never...
2: Whoop. They don't see it coming. Yeah, definitely. They go to counter you and they just think they're going to stop it and you counter their counter and all of a sudden something happened that they were sure they could stop. Yeah. That's a big thing. And I think... And I was thinking about this. This is sort of the theorycraft area, but I think perhaps more color hate in general is okay in Boros Mm -hmm. because when color hate works, it's very good. You know, when you have something that just hits every every forest or every green permanent or whatever. And there's a lot of color hate from old magic that I would look through. And also because you have rummaging. Yeah. So you can rummage away because if you look around and go, well nobody's playing black this game. Okay. I rummage that card away and yeah it's a, it's it a very con- easy target to rummage yeah but if you've got two or three black players you play that spell and just destroy you know just set them back so far so i would consider more maybe more color hate stuff in boros
1: than it would other colors just because your options are more limited yeah um yeah and another way to build boros is you got to fill in the gaps so we've already mentioned this a lot artifacts are going to help you fill in the gaps for ramp and the law of utility. And the nice thing, white can tutor for them. Hey, and red yeah, and can red, bring them back. Yeah, so the great thing about artifacts is yeah, exactly.
2: You can find the one you want if you're in white, most likely because you have a lot of tutors. And then you don't have to be as
1: scared playing it because red has a good chance to be able to go get it back. Yeah. yeah. Play like other colors. So pack in that Vidalcan Orrery. The fact that you get to have flash on your non-land permanence is huge. Like, that's not a red-white ability. That's why the card's so good, is because it makes your deck seem as though it has another color. Just play Vidalcanori in all of the decks. (laughs) Yeah. Just play it in all the decks. Uh, Burnished Heart, I think you have to play in a Boros deck, because you're going to ramp, and you're going to get lands onto the battlefield. And you
2: can recur it, so you can get that value engine going, which is a ramp value package, which is very good in this particular color combination. Yeah, Yeah, I think Burnished Heart is... You almost always play it in every Boros deck. Yep. Sunforger, we talked about. Yeah, mana rocks just in general. Uh, we should say Vidalcan Ori lets you cast all your spells at flash. Burnished Heart lets you go, uh, it's a creature, but you sack it and you go get two lands and put them into play. Um, Sunforger is a little bit more complicated, but the gist of it is that it allows you to go find an instant in your deck and cast it. So you sort of tutor and cast. Yeah, um, after yeah. unequipping
1: it. Um, yes. But it's a CMC four or less, red All right, let's one. just read the whole thing. Okay, three <laughs> drop. It's an artifact equipment. The creature gets plus four, plus zero, and it costs three to equip. However, it costs red and white to unattach Sunforger. Search your library for a red or white instant card with CMC four or less and cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then shuffle your library. So you...
2: Tutor and cast cheat mana cost, sort of, because you did pay three to equip and then two Mm -hmm. to unequip it. But you could do some of the broken things uh, with it and also just like find the answer
1: you need right now. Yeah, and it's actually, you can just get Boros Charm with it. It yeah. costs Boros Charm to cast Boros Charm. Yeah.
2: It protects all your stuff when in, when you have it active. It also can just go find Path to Exile. I mean, I know that only costs one, but it doesn't matter if you need it right now. Yeah,
1: you and don't... you can repeat the effect. That's the huge part of that. You equip it on something else, it just takes yeah, five yeah. mana to, to find a four mana spell at instant speed from your deck. Pretty yep. good. Okay, um, lands. The way to fill in the gap with lands is you better be playing the Expedition map because I think you're going to need to play an Ancient Tomb, a Temple of the False God, and if you're playing an enchantress based deck, Sarah's Sanctum as well. There's lots of different ways to make sure that you can get catch up, and lands are definitely going to help you.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We talked about it earlier with all the the fact that you have a lot more leeway because you're in a two color deck. Being able to play lands that don't tap for your colors, um, you know. I've I know Temple of False Gods. Some people there's some chatter around the EDH world that it's not as good as people originally thought, and people have been taking out their decks because. Mm it really sucks when you have three lands in a Temple of the False Gods and you don't hit that. It's basically like it's not a land until you have five uh, because it only taps for for two mana if you have uh, five lands. Otherwise, it taps for zero for those who don't know it. But in a deck like this, you kind of have to weigh the risk-reward, and the reward's so big because it's ramped for you and you have trouble finding it. Whereas if you're in a green deck, I could totally see, like, and Temple of the False Gods just too risky because I'm so easily able to ramp in other ways that you know, the downside is not worth the upside because, to me, ramp is easy. Mm-hmm. But in Boros, ramp is really hard, so the downside is worth the upside. Yeah. All right. When you play your deck... This is a category we don't talk about enough and people don't talk about enough. So, yeah, y- yeah let's really...
1: I want to harp on this for a second. Piloting the deck matters. That's kind of the basis of how you win games in general. You can have the best deck in the world, put it in the wrong hands, they're not going to win. So... That is just a thing I want people to keep in mind a lot, especially
2: when, and and doesn't just have to do with this, right? Like, mm-hmm. people are talking about all the time, well, this card's too powerful and it needs to be banned, and yeah, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but I question what happened exactly that made you think that because <laughs> did you play against it 50 times and you just, every time, you tried something else and you couldn't find a way to beat that card? Okay, yeah. maybe it needs to be banned. Did it beat you a couple of times? What did you do exactly? Did Did you play to try and beat that card? Did you... Anyway, let's go into specifically Boros. But I think that the piloting and the playing of the games doesn't get enough play, ironically, in Magic. Like, the deck yeah. building's important, but it's only half the story. Half of it is how do you play the game? What decisions do you make? How do you sequence your plays? Things like that. Not And the politics is a third. Yeah. So maybe it's even 33% of the game is deck building. Um, they're probably not all weighted equally. Anyway, yeah. okay.
1: So For Boros, I think a lot of it is deck building, but the piloting is huge, too. Um, I think, actually, for Boros it's more about the piloting Mm. than most of the other decks. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: The first one is a prime example. Don't overextend. Don't do it. Keep things in reserve. Keep things in your hand. Always be thinking, can I rebuild if the worst happens and this all gets blown up? Yeah. You know? Try to discover what the other plans are. If someone's about to board wipe, then make sure to hold up your Boris charm. I see this a lot, right, where people have an answer, and they choose to, like, play out a creature and not leave that mana open. You know, if you're like, I'm ahead right now, so the only thing I need to worry about is a board wipe, don't play anything else, just hold up your answer for the board wipe, because you're ahead right now, so you want to keep things on the level that they're at. That's something I think a lot of players in general, not just Boros players, but Boros has to worry about it even more, because if you're playing the Tauran deck, or the Mizzix deck, or
1: a lot of other decks, you can rebuild so much more easily that you can make a mistake. Yeah, totally. Politics matter. Red-white decks have the ability, and I've seen this a lot, the ability to just end someone's game, but only one player at a time. That doesn't mean that you should just go and hunt that player down. Sometimes it's like turn eight or nine, and one person's at like 15, someone's at 26, someone's at 40. If you wanted to, you could swing out that player and just kill them. However, that player is literally, if they know this now, then they're going to be on your side because you can convert them into a politically into a helper as opposed to an opponent. Because It is fun, sure, to knock people out. Maybe you're in a league that awards you points for doing it, but it's way better to have an ally as Boros because you do gain access to the other colors and abilities of that color because you're telling them, hey, I'm giving you a reprieve. I'm not going to kill you right now, even though I could. And if they're a lot like, well, if you kill me, you're going to die. Then, you know, you have to be in the right situation, but you need to use politics as well in Boros. Yeah, I think politics are, no matter what color you're playing, but Boros maybe even more so because, like you
2: said, your weaknesses are so glaring. Yeah. Um... Know your strengths is the next thing down. It's, uh, white has like some of the best board wipes in the game. So you need to be able to know that you have those in your deck and how do you navigate the board position to a place where you can take full advantage and get full value out of using it. Yeah, um, very
1: satisfying, by the way, when you play that right austere command, and it's like, oh, oh I've been saving this up for a while. Yeah, I've
2: been setting it up. I also waited so that I had my Boros charm, maybe, so that I can make my stuff indestructible when yeah. I play it. Or like, I
1: only played lower CMC stuff, you yeah, know. Yeah, like, so that a bunch I know,
2: of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, this last one I wrote down, Jimmy, is, and again, I think this could apply to mm-hmm. all decks, but Boros more so, is you need to be more purposeful with who you're attacking and why you're attacking people. Like, you'll see in game nights, and we've talked about it before, and and this just happens in a lot of Commander games, it's like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, I can attack somebody, I'm gonna roll a dice and just attack whoever. Boros probably can't afford to be doing that. (laughs) They probably need to look around the table and go, well, like, that deck right there, I will have a very hard time beating. Yeah, My advantage is that I can attack you before you're off the ground. But if I don't take advantage of that, are you gonna go go later when like your advantage is like later on in the game, turn eight, nine, or ten? I'm just doing crazy powerful stuff that you're not. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna not do that then because I didn't attack you early? No, they're gonna totally do the thing later on. That's crazy value engine that's gonna destroy you. So yeah. you need to take the other side of that seesaw and be like, my advantage is now. I have to attack that deck now. And so and and it always it always makes me chuckle because people get tricked into playing that game of like rolling the dice when yeah. the, the other. The other decks rolling the dice are decks that want the game to go long. So they can afford to play around and not and be like, oh, I don't care who I attack. I yeah. just have to attack somebody. I'll make Boros, an enemy, whatever. Yeah, Boros can't do that. They need to be like, that deck right there, scary, specifically for my deck, I have to take you down. That's just the way maybe that you have to play if you want to win. Like, if you don't make those decisions correctly, you can be in a situation where, like, I did 10 to you, 10 to you, 10 to you, and your deck is guaranteed to win a game that goes past
1: you know 12 turns, and my yeah. deck has no chance. Why <laughs> didn't I just go after you and at least have a chance in this game? Yeah, exactly. Or at least piloting everyone else against that one person. If it's like, hey, this deck is also uh, like the nut against your deck. You know, you, There are a lot of ways to work it so that... you know, Gang up on people. Why not? You're in Boros. All right, choosing a commander. Uh, turns out that this is something that we almost have said that it's not as significant, if that makes sense, because you're building less around your commander in these decks. But, you know, it's still important. Because a lot of the red white commanders are again focused around attacking and a lot of the strategies are the same. You just need to think about one that's gonna either have the best splash for your local meta or one that feels best for you as a player. You know, you could you could be like, Hey, I want to do combat or I want to be able to put myself in a position where if I play Gisela, Blade of Golden Knight, I'm just gonna win. Because I'll be able to swing out and do tons of damage. Or but again, like, that's you're going to be falling
2: into the trap that we were that we warned you about if you yeah. do that too much.
1: Or even like, hey, I know that my opponents are all going to play a lot of damage based decks, so I'm going to play Gisela, so it stops damage coming in. You know, so, uh, you might, might be a little trickier with the Brian Stout Arm deck where you want to fling stuff at people, or like the most, I guess, utility best build around the commander would be Tapala Pilot Exemplar. Yeah, I think
2: Tapala actually is a very possibly good deck because. There's card draw attached to her yeah one of the attached. pillars is attached Crazy. to her now it forces you to do some stuff maybe you don't want to do which is play a lot of dwarves uh, i think vehicles are better than we thought but i do think that deck because it has the possibility of card draw is eh, it's on the edge of it's still not great because it's so specific but it's it's better than the rest but i yeah, think totally. still the thing we said earlier which is like just be careful when you build your boros deck just don't be like, I'm totally doing exactly what my commander wants. You've got to build in some of this other recursion stuff and value engine stuff, even though your Gisela doesn't say anything about recurring things or getting value out of stuff. But if you don't have that, then your ability to win big
1: multiplayer commander games is just, you know, it goes from being very large to very slim. Very slim, very quickly. Yeah, use the abilities of your general as a tool more often than not, as opposed to the main build around of the deck, unless you're doing like a Tapala deck. All right. In summary... Red-white is difficult, but clever players and smart players and value-based players are going to be able to work around its inherent weaknesses and bring something new to the table. Because I guarantee you, if you play a very well-tuned Boros deck that has all of these synergies and then people are going to go, wait, what is happening over there? Look, he's, This person's going off. Holy moly. And hey, sometimes just having that deck too—that's like, hey, I can just out of nowhere probably kill you with this deck after generating this value in this red-white deck. It's gonna change a meta. If people are like, we need to be, we need to be, we need to build a little better against combat-based strategies because we're we're getting a little too fancy with our spells, you know? Yeah, that happened in our meta. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Craig comes in and just kills you with infect. It's not the same, but it's similar to what Boris is doing, and yeah, it totally similar. changed like how we had to build decks.
1: Yeah, it's like it's as though if you're in the Voltron meta, that's gonna be the same thing too. You're just gonna be like I need to make sure I can stop cards that are dealing me combat damage i just need to play a lot of grape packs and dictative air bosses yes a lot of edict effects all right just know that you're gonna have to use your political might and deck building skills and, and piloting, piloting. Paula. Palad exemplar. You got to be more like Paula. That's a good point. She's just screaming, like, guys, I'm over here. I am the Boros commander you should be playing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a super fun challenge. It's something that I'm looking forward to potentially doing in the future because I do want to build a Boros deck. I'm hoping they release more partner commanders in red-white so I can have a little more flexibility. You know, but... I
2: really liked your point about playing the partner commanders just as a card advantage. Like, <laughs> just, I haven't. No, seriously. Like, yeah. that. just thinking in that manner is just a really good idea. I like it.
1: Yeah. And if you guys want to see a prior player that we've had in the game nights before, Alex Kessler does have an Archangel Avisen deck, and uh, we're going to post the list in the show notes. So you can see how a more seasoned veteran EDH player and a pretty good deck builder goes about making a Boros deck that's viable. Uh, and I would highly recommend you all check it out, as well as see, like, maybe, hey, maybe in this meta this wouldn't work as well because I have X, Y, and Z, and what you would do instead of that. To help pilot your deck and build it
2: and i think kessler is a really good guy to look at because he is very much a value-based player yeah. he is not an aggro player like if craig built a boros deck it's going to be like what boros wants to do smack you in the face yeah whereas kessler's more worried about like okay
1: but how do i win a long game yeah i mean kessler again one game that's with a birthing pod combo so that gives you a good idea of the kind of player he is yeah. um degenerate yes it does
2: <laughs> we're also going to give a <laughs>
1: list of sort of must include and other options for red white cards and and a lot of of course uh artifact cards that you may think about putting in your deck if it fits either your uh your meta or what you want to do with your deck building like a card that we didn't mention was like tragic arrogance like mm-hmm. that card is again a very powerful whiteboard wipe that sword of have, the animus sword is, sword is the a animus. really oh good card gosh. in a boros deck yeah absolutely
2: yeah. so the, there's a sword of the animus is it an equipment? You attach it. And then when you attack, you basically get to go find a basic land and put it in a play tap. So it ramps you, right? It's an equipment that ramps you, though. So you want to yeah. be attacking anyway? Can I turn that attacking into ramp? Sort of the Animus says yes.
1: Heck yeah. All right.
2: Whew. A lot. Now, a lot. the place you can go to pick up all these awesome Boros cards oh. for your new, sweet, value-based Boros oh, deck boy, is cardkingdom.com slash commandzone. They're going to be the best place to pick up your singles because... First of all, the cards are going to be in pristine condition.
1: If you get them in pristine condition.
2: They're going to be in the condition that you ask for, sometimes better. I've ordered cards mm-hmm. where from them that said light play, and I'm like, no, nah, this is really near mint. Yeah, it's like, like you turn it around, yeah. and there's
1: like a tiny little scuff somewhere. You're like, mm-hmm. I can't even see this. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, and then they are also going to get you your cards faster than anybody. We hear this all the time, is that you order your cards from Card Kingdom, and literally like... Before you can even think about it, you've already gotten the hey, your order shipped. <laughs> like, sometimes I've like ordered it and then, like, gone and got a drink of water and come back. And, like, oh, my card shipped already. <laughs>
1: yeah, guards are on your way. Yeah, so other things you can buy at cardkingdom.com/slash command zone is some Ultra Pro products. We've got a lot behind us, actually. Uh, there's just great stuff. You guys want to buy play mats? We got play mats. You guys want to buy some, uh, some card sleeves? You know, uh, Ultra Pro
2: even does like little cool uh, life. Tracking notepads. Yeah, uh, they actually had a Sriracha one that I highlighted in one of the uh, game nights episodes. But they do things like this, uh, which is really cool when you're at like a pre-release or a, a tournament or I something. I use these exclusively. Yeah, now. it's a great way to keep
1: track of your life total. It's way better than dice when you're at an actual tournament. Yeah, it gives you the lights, all the little slots, and everything. And they also do cool like these are John Avon sleeves that. Oh, we the used.
2: full art sleeves are really sweet. Yeah. And I'll say my Sriracha sleeves. From Ultra Pro, I don't know if because of the Eclipse thing, they're doing something different with all their sleeves, but my Sriracha sleeves have lasted like a lot longer. Oh, nice. And I I know a lot of people in the old days Ultra Pro stuff – some of it was known for sort of you know breaking earlier, ripping and tearing. But I've had really good experiences with the Sriracha stuff, and cool. and so I will say I'll go out there and I'll say that the durability on that stuff seems to
1: be much improved too. Not just the eclipses. So another thing, Ultra Pro is going to be printing that you can get your hands on if you have three days left on this Kickstarter. Oh would my be gosh! Our Only three days mat. left. Woo.
2: only three
1: days left three days left here it is look at the fine print quality in this ultra Pro knows how to make playmats obviously and uh, make sure you guys check out that kickstarter because this is the only chance you are going to get to get to obtain this playmat to obtain a piece of history <laughs> yeah to be a part of history oh boy <laughs> all right time for our to the listeners
2: how do you guys like to play boros how have you found success from boros every time we talk about boros we hear from somebody who's like i have this deck and it it's it's great it's my best deck
1: that's yeah. great to hear do you do it the value-based way or are you doing it some other way and just saying oh i just play boros because i play a five color deck does not count either no it has to be a, <laughs> a boros commander yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. don't or, cheat yeah or have you seen other people play boros in a way that that surprised you or that we didn't mention on the show we would love to hear and uh, of course grow our knowledge of the game as well as yours all right Let's move on to the end step where we'll talk about something cool, somewhat outside of the world of magic. Yeah, this <laughs> one is like only a little bit outside the world of magic.
2: Jimmy and I just started playing this game on our phones, and it's we Questin. It's pretty sweet. It's called uh, Magic: The Gathering Puzzle Quest. Now, you may have seen some advertisements for Magic Puzzle Quest on like the Pro Tour and stuff. Yeah, and there's that's a Puzzle wh- Quest
1: team, which yeah, I think the, is awesome. Yeah, there's a pro
2: team. Uh, so that's where I first became aware of it and just sort of picked it up and started to play it. And when you start to play it and when you look at the screenshots of it, it kind of looks like Bejeweled or something, right? Yeah, totally. It's one of those games where you're matching the symbols and you match three in a row and it gives you... but. As you start to play it, you understand that there's a lot of the aspects of Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Not just, like, a lot of times you think about these games and you go, like, ah, oh, they're just going to sort of, like, sugarcoat it and, you know, with a little bit of flavor yeah, from the thing. Yeah, some art or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, no, they're actually full on. You deck build. Yeah. You have to cast your cards. You have to play it. You choose which order you play your cards. You play against other people. It's
1: actually a lot of complexity and a lot of strategy, and uh, I've had a lot of fun with it. Not to mention, so today a new update actually just came out. It's Cat. Uh, and it's really exciting because there's a lot of story elements in Puzzle Quest as well. So it gives you a better glimpse into the Vorthos part of the world. So there's like the trials, the trial of zeal, strength, uh, ambition.
2: Yeah, there's all the cartouches. They work kind of the same way, whereas you play one, it bounces the other back to your hand, so you can replay it for value. It's
1: actually kind of cool, yeah. And you gain energy when you like match the gems up to be able to use Planeswalker abilities and stuff. So you, you get to be a Planeswalker and you get to play... And the new planeswalker arrives so today. You're gonna to be Gideon. Good old Giddies. Oh, I'm excited for the Almond stuff because you know you
2: can use all those cards and I want to build a cycling deck really bad. So oh. <laughs> I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, the game is super fun. One of the other things I like about it is, you know, if you're familiar with this type of game, when you're sort of playing the bejeweled part of it, you aren't normally against another person. But when you are, there's all this complexity, right? So let's say I'm playing Nyssa yeah. and I'm a green commander and you're playing chandra and you're a red so the red symbols and the green symbols will be in all the in all the uh
1: the gems. mixed in with all the gems right but we share that same
2: board. we say that share that same board so when it's my turn i have a decision a lot of times i can either take the red gems and try and match them so that you don't get them yeah or i can take the green gems and match them because that gives me more mana to cast my spells. And so there's all this strategy that goes on of like, uh, sometimes you have to know like, oh, I only need three more green, So in this Mm -hmm. case, I'm going to take the green and let your red happen because that'll get my creature out. But sometimes it's like, you know, Okay, the three won't actually get my creature out because it won't be enough. So yeah. I need to I need to block you. So I need to do this. So there's a ton of
1: strategy. It's really fun. Yeah, it's really cool. I've never actually seen that level of interplay in a game like a sort of this puzzle bejeweled-esque game. Um, not to mention, I'm always looking for time sinks when I'm on a plane, or you know, my friends driving somewhere and we're stuck in traffic. And and games like this really scratch that itch in my head. So uh, the reason that we have we're talking about puzzle quest is actually we got a code for all of you listeners and video users to get a free rare card in the game so you should 100 download it right now i think it's available for android and ios and the rare code for a free rare card are you guys ready to get your pens and pencils out there's, there's gonna be a graphic out but if you're listening to it audio then you know just remember it or write it down do not do this if you're driving it is one e two c t all lowercase except for the numbers that's one echo two charlie tango 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 yeah Get a free rare card. Pretty
2: good. Pretty good set. And the rare cards are very good in the game. They're much more powerful. Just like yeah. regular Magic, you're always like, "Oh man, I hope I draw my rare card because it'll <laughs> turn the tides."
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, like they're updating it with the sets, which is really cool. Amulet kind of came out two weeks ago, and now you get to play the story. I mean, I'm I really have gotten into the Vorthos of Magic recently. I'm reading all of the Magic story, and it's kind of it's really fun. I like it. So I'm excited to in, in, engage with that in the game as well today. So. Yeah, definitely check out Magic the Gathering Puzzle
2: Quest. And uh, I am JLK Command Zone. So if you ever run into me.
1: Let's battle. Get ready. Yeah, it's a great way to play Josh without having to actually meet him in real life. Plus, there's no Blood Moon on there.
2: (laughs) So I'm very (laughs) happy
1: about that. I mean, I hope they don't add it. You know, I'd be happy about that, too. (laughs) All right, all right. Our sister podcast for the show is The Masters of Modern. You can find Ben Batesman and Alex Kessler at the MMCast. I already see Josh sweating bullets because he knows he has to do the other part of the uh, the cleanup step now. Yeah, they do a great job. They talk about all things modern. Uh, they recently cast the Magic the Gathering movie with with people that they thought would fit the roles, which I thought was a fascinating discussion. And I think we're going to actually have that discussion as well on our Facebook page, so facebook.com slash commandcast, if you want to join on the discussion of who would be Jace and Liliana and Chandra and Gideon in a magic movie. Oof. Very interesting. So make sure you guys check that out. MMCast. You can also find them alongside us on our uh, hub at collected.company. I think I got it all. Yeah, you did. All right, go. Good luck.
2: <laughs> our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. Great job, Terry. Big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the Living Cards animations that open and close all of our episodes. You can find him on Twitter at Living Cards
1: MTG. And you can also find all of our video content at YouTube.com slash The Command Zone Podcast. Dang it. I forgot that part. Oh, and make sure to hit that subscribe button. Yes, please That really do. does help us out. And you can also hit the little bell button next to the subscribe button that will make sure that you get alerted when we put a new video up. Right. You can be one of the first people to comment first. It's a, It's a fad. And you can also... Never mind thank thank uh malfunction order Order is out
2: can i do the masters water thing next episode though don't steal it from me yeah i'll try because it really discombobulates me
1: yeah yeah are you gonna be able to drive home tonight i don't think so (laughs) i'm like how do we get to the end of the show now i'm totally lost well how about this thanks so much for listening everybody and we will see you next time peace we did it